information contained herein should not be considered investment advice. All investments have risks. This podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon without first consulting your personal financial, tax, and legal advisors. The Benchmark Podcast is affiliated with BCS Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to The Benchmark, a podcast from the team here at BCS Wealth Management. My name's Scott Lynn, and I'm joined today by Nathan Goodwin and PB, Philip Bachman. And our topic today is going to kind of just be year-end planning, things for us to consider, to think about, you know, as, as we approach the end of the year. Um, but as we're coming off Thanksgiving, we thought it'd kind of be a fun way to, to intro this episode. And I was speaking with my wife, a, a, you know, a few days ago, and we kind of realized that, you know, everybody sort of has that Thanksgiving dish that, you know, it's not Thanksgiving without it. So, you know, I, I guess I'll, I'll open by asking you guys that question first. So what, what makes Thanksgiving Thanksgiving to you guys? Well, growing up, we would always have the traditional dinner, of course, with the turkey and all the fixings. Um, as I've gotten older, I've kind of grown more towards the side items. I love the side dishes as much, probably more, than the turkey, to be honest with you. Yeah. So I love a good green bean casserole or a corn pudding, uh, something like that. But I'll admit that this past Thanksgiving that we just recently had, um, my family and I didn't even have a traditional turkey dinner. We did something non-traditional, and we had a nice, uh, authentic Swiss cheese fondue, and it was <laughs> delicious. Oh, wow. There you go. There you go. Nathan, how about you? What, what sort of dish yeah, do you for, think of when you think of Thanksgiving? Yeah, for me, it's always been my grandmother's potato casserole, and I've kind of taken over uh, making that now. So okay. that's, a, yeah. that's, that's the one dish I do. Um, I'm not much of a cook and honestly not much of a casserole person, but, um, you know, anytime you mix potatoes and cheese and sour cream and butter and throw some cornflakes on top of it, it's going to be good. Can't go wrong with that. <laughs> so, That's right. But um, I always remember wanting my grandmother's potato casserole, and it's pretty neat now to have that recipe and make that every year. Very cool. Yeah. So so for me, you know, growing up in Indiana and, and obviously now living here in Tennessee, I didn't realize this dish would be considered kind of weird or odd. Uh, but as I, you know, lived down here and we had Thanksgiving with friends or, or other family members and, and they're kind of surprised by sort of what my Thanksgiving dish is. And I, up north, I guess, I, I'd imagine, I know it's popular in Indiana, I imagine in Pennsylvania as well. I think it's an Amish dish, actually, that's uh, Amish noodles. So they're kind of like dough or, or egg noodles. Um, they're not super they kind of have the consistency of dumplings but not quite that thick and you know you cook those noodles in chicken broth and then you put them over your mashed potatoes and to like what i that is my favorite thanksgiving dish it, yeah might seem a little odd i guess from you know from what i've understood from other people that uh you know that i've met down here in tennessee obviously uh, but but yeah to me that is that is thanksgiving so yeah uh well i hope uh, hope our listeners had a had a great thanksgiving as well looking forward to you know to christmas to the end of the year and with that we'll really kind to jump into what our topic is today and again it's just kind of kind of year-end planning and we're really going to hit sort of four topics today uh, the first of which you know we'll talk about retirement plans and, and individual retirement accounts and making sure we're getting things squared away there for the end of the year um, 
we'll speak a little bit also about uh, charitable giving, you know, as we approach the end of the year. Um, and then just some other kind of hodgepodge year in considerations that, that we want to look at as well. And then finally, as we're kind of thinking about all these things, you know, it's also good to, to sort of just kind of think about our, uh, you know, review our estate planning um, and, and review those documents uh, for, for any year and changes that have, that have kind of come up. So a lot of this will, you know, um, kind of goes around tax day which is april 15th uh, coming up 2024 that that you know not fun to think about either but that is right around the corner and a lot of what we talk about sort of does kind of hedge around that date a little bit and, and obviously december 31st is a, is a big day as well uh so with that yeah we'll we'll jump into it and you know kind of jump into retirement plans individual retirement accounts and pb i'll have you kind of speak on that a little bit for sure i'd be happy to so December 31st is an important date for contributing to your 401k, 403b, and similar retirement plans that are employer-sponsored. Um, now, of course, April 15th is important when it comes to you know, IRA accounts and Roth IRA accounts, and we'll uh, dive into that in a moment. But regarding the employer-sponsored retirement plans, uh, we do need to make sure that we're pointing towards uh, having you contribute what you wish to contribute for this calendar year before December 31st so that it's applied to your 2023 taxes. Um, here are those amounts that we're talking about for 2023. The maximum employee contribution for tax deductibility in your 401k or 403b plan is $22,500. There's an additional $7,500 catch-up for those that are aged 50 or older. And uh, also, in, so then bringing to the total employee and employer contribution for 2023 is $66,000. For next year, 2024, the employee contribution becomes $23,000 as opposed to $22,500. There's still a $7,500 catch-up for those aged 50 or older, and the total employee plus employer contribution limit for 2024 will be $69,000. So again, everything I just mentioned is pertaining to uh, employer-sponsored 401ks, 403bs, and similar plans such as those. We should also talk about simple IRA plans. The uh, limit there for contributions for 2023 is $15,500. There's a $3,500 catch-up for those aged 50 and older. And then in 2024, that number will be $500 higher for the contribution limit, so it will become $16,000. There's still going to be a $3,500 catch-up for those aged 50 and older. And then to round out these kind of uh, options for employer-sponsored retirement plans, there's also the SEP IRAs. SEP, S-E-P, standing for Simplified Employee Pension IRAs. Uh, these are uh, a little bit different animal from a simple IRA insofar as most commonly, although not always, we find SEP IRAs in the context of a self-employed person. But in any case, they're meant for small businesses and or self-employed people. And uh, these contributions come from the business. There's no such thing technically as an employee contribution. They're employer contributions into the plan, technically speaking. 
So if you're self-employed, technically, the contributions going into your SEP IRA are coming from you as the employer, not you as your own employee. But anyway, back to the contribution limit there. For 2023, for SEP IRAs, the limit is 25% of your eligible employee compensation up to $66,000. The maximum compensation that can be considered for contributions in 2023 is $330,000. For 2024, it will still be 25% of eligible employee compensation, but up to a limit of $69,000. And the maximum compensation that can be considered for contributions in 2024 will be $345,000. Yeah, so from there, I think uh, we want to touch on IRA contribution, Roth contribution mm-hmm. limits, all those kinds of things. And Yeah, I'll take that. Um, so traditional and Roth IRAs, and we've, I'm not going to get into the, the pros and cons of these. We, you know, we, we've done that in, a, in other podcasts, so check those out if you'd like, you know, more basics on uh, what they are, how they work, and, and things like that. But uh, for 2023... Uh, most you can put in your traditional or Roth IRA is 6500 If you're over age 50, they do give you an extra $1,000 for that catch-up provision. Um, that is going to go up next year. It'll go up $500. So next year, most you can put in is 7000 uh, or an additional 1000 uh, for the catch-up provision if you are over age 50. Now, a little bit different than our, our group retirement plans here with, with the deadline, they do give you the tax filing on these. So if, if you get to year end, you know, in the um, madness that comes here at year end with holidays and things like that, if if, if if you don't get that IRA contribution in by 1231, you still have time to get that in by, by tax filing. So, um and a couple main points here to think about with the traditional IRA essentially you're always able to contribute to a traditional IRA that's kind of a tongue twister but essentially always able to contribute the question is whether it's deductible or not and that's going to depend on mostly your income okay also possibly you know what other retirement plans you're a part of whether it's a group plan at work and what you're doing there and um, not going to get in the weeds too much on that right now. But essentially what it comes down to is, you know, your income and that's going to determine whether you get to uh, take that deduction or not. Now, even if you don't get to take that deduction, that contribution is still going to grow tax deferred and you're still going to get, you know, the benefits of of the account uh, in the long run, but you're not going to get that upfront deduction. A Roth is a little bit different from that, um, where the traditional, you're basically always able to make some uh, sort of contribution with the Roth. That may not be the case. Um, Depending on your income, it determines whether or not you're able to make a Roth contribution at all. Now, there there are some strategies such as a a Roth backdoor uh, conversion. Um, that we're going to mention here a little bit later, um, so we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later. But it's still possible that you can get money into a Roth and, and get around that. Um, but those are the basics with the the traditional and the Roth. I'm going to jump in if I may, Nathan. Yeah. 
You mentioned that um, we have until April 15th of 2024 to make a tax year 2023 IRA and Roth IRA contribution, and that's right. I just wanted to also kind of go back into my section about the employer-sponsored plans. 1231 is the deadline for 401k, 403b, uh, and also functionally speaking, simple IRAs. But now a SEP IRA also uh, is given by the IRS that April 15th or even later tax filing deadline if a person or an entity were to request an extension on their taxes. Yeah, that's, that's good to know. RMDs, as we go back to our IRAs, um, if you're 73 and above, you know, with that traditional IRA, you're going to have to take a required minimum distribution each year. Uh, that money has not been taxed, and, um, well, to put it bluntly, the government wants their tax. So <laughs> that, at age 73, they're going to start uh, requiring you to take out a minimum amount each year. Um, there is a, a formula that goes into that number. At the end of the day, it's, it works out to you know be about you know roughly four percent or so the first year. Um, it's not in a percent necessarily. They do it based off a life calculation and a, a divisor and things like that. But essentially, that's where it's going to start. Um, and typically, that percentage uh, will increase a little bit each year. Let's see. Anything else here, guys? I think that mostly wraps up kind of, yeah, the IRAs and, you know, RMDs, employer-sponsored plans. I think one other tax-deferred account maybe that we might want to mention are HSA accounts as well. Sure. HSA being a health savings account. So health savings accounts being uh, very powerful tools from a financial planning standpoint because they're triple tax advantaged. The money that goes in uh, can be deducted off your taxes, which is nice. Uh, The money in an HSA can grow tax-free. And also the money coming out of it on the on the spending side, when it's time to finally spend it, is tax-free as long as it's used for qualified medical expenses. And one of the very few, if about the only account that, that is that, right? Exactly. That was yes. never taxed. Exactly. So, yeah. so it's a great uh, feature for people who do have health insurance that's considered a high deductible health plan. And there's some other caveats about eligibility. For example, uh, a person cannot be on Medicare and contribute into an HSA account. Um, So there's some uh, qualification criteria there about HSAs. But if uh, you are eligible for an HSA, we encourage you to look into it. Uh, Anyway, with regards to contributing into that HSA account for 2023, the uh, contribution limit is $3,850 if you have a single plan, meaning it covers yourself only. That number is $7,750 if you have family coverage. And on top of those numbers, there is a $1,000 extra catch-up provision for those aged 55 and older. Next year in 2024, the single coverage contribution limit for an HSA will be $4,150. It will be $8,300 for family coverage. And there's also still going to be a $1,000 catch-up for those aged 55 and older. 
Yeah, very good. All right. Thank you, guys. So I think the next uh, topic we wanted to get into uh, is just charitable giving. And, you know, obviously anything that you kind of do charitably, if, if you want to get the tax benefit of that, you do need to do before December 31st, um, you know, of the year, before the end of the year, obviously. Um, you know, as far as charitable donations go, um, you know, m- most people after the IRS raised the standard deduction limits, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily itemize their their deductions anymore. So we thought it would, you know, it would be good to mention what the standard deductions are for 2023. So if you're single, uh, that is thirteen thousand eight fifty is what the standard deduction is. Uh, if you're married, uh, it's twice that amount, twenty seven thousand seven hundred. So you know, if if your charitable giving is anything less than that, you would just take the standard deduction as is anyway. Uh, um, you know, in general, you can deduct cash donations uh, if you do itemize, of course. Uh, in, in general, you can deduct cash donations to qualified charities worth up to about 60% of your adjusted gross income. Um, if donating long-term appreciated stock, you can deduct up to 30% of your adjusted gross income. And really the big benefit of that, if you have a stock that's appreciated, when you gift that stock, you don't have to pay the capital gains tax on it versus if you sold it outright, you know, the government would, would want to collect. Uh, collect some tax, obviously, on your your capital gains that that you had. So that's really kind of the the benefit of of gifting stock. when talking about charitable donations, a strategy that, that some folks use is what's called a bunching strategy. So, you know, if your charitable giving is, is kind of close to those itemized deductions, you know, if you're married, find jointly that 27700 limit and say you gift, you know, maybe 25000 for the year, but you don't get to itemize that because the standard deduction is above and beyond that, what you may want to consider is sort of bunching your charitable giving in, in you know, several years into one year. So maybe you, you know, you give 40 or 50,000 in one year, and then you can itemize that. And, you know, that's sort of a, it's tax advantaged to do it that way. You're able to take a more of a deduction. Um, and then next year, you maybe you don't gift as much and you just use your standard deduction. So, so that's one strategy, uh, you know, that we've seen some, some folks use. Um, also, I think it's prudent to mention qualified charitable distributions from IRAs here, or what's termed QCDs. Uh, so, you know, even though your RMD age, that, that age has increased to 73, the IRS still allows you to, um, you know, to execute a QCD or qualified charitable distribution if you're age 70 and a half, which is what the, the former uh, RMD age was. So I don't know, that must have just been something that slipped through the cracks with the IRS, but but that is actually still, the, and you actually have to have to be age 70 and a half. It cannot be the year that you turned 70 and a half, you actually have to be age 70 and a half to, uh, to execute a QCD. So so what a qualified charitable distribution is, uh, is again, taken from your IRA account and sent directly to a qualified charity. You know, usually any, any 501c3 works and you would, you would have those funds sent directly to the charity. Um, and, you know, that goes to satisfy your RMD. If you are, if you, you know, you're in the age group that has to take an RMD, QCDs go to do count to, to uh, satisfy your RMD. Uh, so that's beneficial to do. And, you know, you can actually do up to $100,000 of a qualified charitable distribution each year. Um, so, you know, for some folks, what, what I've told some clients in the past that if you're already giving charitably and you're, you are age 70 and a half, you know, from a tax standpoint, it probably makes sense to, to do some, if not all of that charitable giving uh, out of your IRA account. And then that, yeah, that'll, that'll just, that, that's a little, little less money you have to send to Uncle Sam that year uh, if you kind of kind of give to your charities that way um, so 
Nathan, what what about gifting? That's I think it's something else, you know, as far as gifting to, you know, maybe your your kids or other family members, you know, that may be something else we want to kind of touch on here as well. Yeah, gifting and, and uh, again, just to point out, this is not. Um to charity or anything like that this is just gifting to, to kids or other people um, with you know no deduction or, or anything like that but um, you can give away in 2023 up to 17,000 uh, you can double that if you're married but um, you can give away $17,000 to an individual without eating into your basically lifetime exclusion amount um, doesn't reduce your taxable income but it, you know, some people do this. It does kind of reduce your estate little by little. People do it each year. Um, so you know, you know, at the at the end of the year, some people will just give some money to kids or or, or something like that. Um, but there is a limit to that, and this year it's seventeen thousand. Yeah. And yeah, the way I understand that too, you can actually gift more than that. The way I understand yes. it, you just have to file um, what do they call that? I guess a, a gift, 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 yeah, tax, gift return. tax return. So, um, yes, and it, it does, uh, you can uh, really give whatever you want, but above that 17000 it's going to lower your lifetime amount that you can do. Right. Yeah. Curve. Yeah, yeah, makes, makes yeah. sense. So. And the by lifetime amount, we're referring to your total estate exemption amount for your future estate to be liable for taxes. Yes, right. yes. When, when someone um, you know has has passed away, there is a, a certain amount, and that amount is changing or supposed to change, and uh, so we won't go into that necessarily, but. Um, it's quite high now. It's, yes, thirteen it's, million yes. maybe off the top of my head, but that sunset sometime it, in twenty six or twenty seven. It you know, to where it's yeah, quite, think, quite a bit lower than yes, that. Yes, I think so. it comes back maybe to six million or something like that. Okay. But um, so that is uh, a lot of people talk about that as as far as your estate, but that's really a lifetime amount. So um, you know, some people before they pass want to go ahead and give away their estate, and so they can enjoy that process maybe uh, you can absolutely do that it's just going to it's going to eat away at that lifetime exemption amount and whatever's left over from that at your passing that will apply to your estate makes Very sense good. Yeah. Uh, I'll take this next broad topic and this is kind of the catch-all topic uh, for this podcast episode and that is other year-end considerations uh, mainly, I'll start out here with, with one kind of uh, unclassified uh, area of this uh, podcast episode that we haven't touched on quite yet, and that is use your FSA balances before the year end. That'd be your flex spending account if you have a flex spending account. Uh, these are employee benefit accounts uh, usually that are provided from an employer that uh, have a pool of funds inside that accumulate throughout the year, usually with regards to uh, spending on medical uh, expenses or things of that nature, but they do expire at the end of the calendar year. So if you have an FSA, this is just a reminder to use your FSA balances before the end of the year. Yeah, and, and importantly, I think to mention there, as you kind of alluded to, if you don't use that amount, you essentially lose whatever's left in that account. So that's money that you've contributed probably into that FSA account, and so yeah find some medical expenses somewhere to, to use that money. So There you yeah. go. <laughs> okay, now this next little area which we'll talk about has to do with investment management. 
so one thing to do every year, and it doesn't have to be in December by any means, it just happens that many times we think about it in December since we're coming upon the calendar year end, and that is tax loss harvesting. In the investment management world, tax loss harvesting is a way of just strategically selling investments to to affect your taxes in a favorable way. And there's different strategies of why you do what you know when you do it. But anyway, tax loss harvesting, for example, would be used to help, um, for example, capture some losses strategically, some paper losses to, to take those and make them realized losses for tax purposes to offset realized gains that we might have had throughout the year in order to reduce your overall net uh, tax liability from uh, your investment uh, accounts as far as that goes. And uh, we want to also remind you that up to $3,000 of capital losses in any given year can be deducted from ordinary income. And any remaining capital losses above that amount can be carried forward into future tax years to offset future capital gains. So that's an important strategy from a tax planning and investment management perspective. Yeah. So if you, yeah, guess what you're saying? If your capital losses exceed what your gains were for the year, then yeah, you can take $3,000 to offset your ordinary, or, ordinary income mm-hmm. for that year. And anything that's even above and beyond that, you can carry forward for, for future years. So yeah. That's right. Yeah, well Good. said. And um, now another area where we do look at is capital gains distributions from investment funds, uh, specifically mutual funds, and even more specifically, generally actively managed mutual funds will oftentimes do a year-end capital gain distribution in the month of December. And that's just where those funds have accumulated uh, cash from their investment activities throughout the year, and they distribute that in the form of, of a distribution to the shareholders of those mutual funds. And uh, we want to be mindful of capital gains that could be classified or, or and realized in the month of December as we're doing our year-end tax planning. Yeah, we, we as advisors, a lot of times we'll get emails from some of these fund companies that will send us a list of what their expected distributions are at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, certainly always good to be aware of those and know what's coming. And, and as you mentioned, take advantage maybe of any capital losses to help offset some of those gains if, if the opportunity is there to do that. So, yeah. 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 All right. So I guess from there, you know, a couple other year end considerations to talk about. Nathan mentioned it a little bit, you know, um, is maybe the possibility of, of doing a Roth conversion. Uh, so what a Roth conversion essentially is, is if you have a traditional IRA account, uh, you can convert that to to a Roth. It, I mean, it's exactly what it what it sounds like converting your traditional IRA to a Roth account. So why would someone want to do that? You know, I've always heard, you know, kind of the idea is you want to pay your taxes in the time that you're in your lowest tax bracket. Um, that could be for a number of reasons. You know, maybe you, uh, you know, you expect maybe a big pay increase next year. And so you maybe want to go ahead and max out your, your current tax bracket now uh, by converting some of that traditional IRA money to Roth. Um, you know, there's some clients maybe even in retirement, they're in a 0% tax bracket. And so it makes sense then to go in and convert basically as much as your IRA that you 
you have to Roth to keep you within, you know, without having to pay any tax. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's that's another strategy uh, we, we've seen used as well. Um, any other thoughts on Roth conversions there that I didn't quite touch on? Well, you, you did touch on a, on a close tangent of this, and that is uh, if you were to find yourself in the middle of jobs um, and maybe didn't work a full uh, time job in, in a given year or, or we're looking for work and we're in between uh, positions and maybe you didn't have as much income in a year, that would be a good year to consider a Roth conversion because your Absolutely. income would be lower that year. Sure, uh, sure. Yeah, so yeah, th- yeah, just things to kind of consider, um, you know, when, when sort of looking at your traditional IRAs and how you're going to use that money in retirement. And I've always told folks, too, that I think it's good to have some in both buckets, both in the traditional, you know, bucket and the Roth bucket, you know, that you can kind of use and tap into at, at retirement. So, yeah, um, Scott, you may I, I think you're going to you're going to touch on one version of this coming up. But um, I, I had mentioned previously that, um, you know, depending on your income, you may or may not be able to contribute to a Roth altogether. But there, you know, there are instances where. Um, you can use a, a backdoor conversion to still get money in that. So uh, everything you guys were talking about, absolutely um, take advantage of that lower tax bracket. At the same time, if, if you're not able to get that deduction on a traditional anyway, um, consider doing what is a, a backdoor conversion to get that into a Roth. Because, um, you know, if your income limits you and you're not going to get the deduction, might as well most likely in most cases you know go ahead and benefit from moving it to through a back door to a Roth that way down the road you're still going to get the tax-free benefits down the road right sure yeah and there's backdoor Roth conversions there's a lot of a lot of nuance to that so that, yes. that'd certainly be something you'd want to, to consult your advisor about if you you know if you have other pre-tax money in an IRA somewhere else the backdoor Roth doesn't tend to work too well yeah um, so yeah it's something to mention for sure but but yeah for for high-income earners whose you know uh, income exceeds the the Roth contribution limit you know exploring a, a backdoor Roth is certainly something to, to look into for sure. Uh, but again, a lot of nuance there and something you'd certainly want to consult your advisor with. Um, so yeah, and, and an iteration of that also is what's called the mega backdoor Roth. Yeah, I don't know if, you know, listeners out there have heard that term before and want to know kind of what that is. So that's something you could take advantage in within your employer-sponsored plan if they if they allow a mega backdoor Roth. And the way it works, you know, PB had mentioned before, uh, the contribution limits to uh to your 401k, the total is 66,000, of which 22,500 of that, you know, you can contribute pre-tax. Anything above and beyond that 22,500 is after-tax dollars. So some employer-sponsored plans will let you, first of all, you know, some won't even allow you to contribute after-tax dollars. So that'd be the first thing you'd want to look into if your employer-sponsored plan allows that or not. And if they do, you know, some employer-sponsored plans then allow you to convert those after-tax dollars to Roth. So essentially that money then, you know, it goes in, you know, after tax, so money you pay tax on, and then you can convert that money to Roth. And then obviously when you take that out, you know, through retirement, that, that money's never taxed. Um, so for folks that, you know, are kind of in those high income brackets or have extra money to, to save above and beyond what your normal uh, 401k contributions are, you know, that's another strategy to, to look into as well as that, that mega backdoor Roth. And again, a lot of nuance with all that. That'd be something you'd want to you know consult your advisor with, uh, as well as your you know your HR person uh, through your employer, also to make sure something like this is allowed. Um. 
So yeah, yeah, anything, any other year in considerations maybe that we didn't really touch on as far as things we kind of need to be aware of by the end of the year, maybe by tax day, April 15th at all? I think we kind of hit most of the highlights there. Um, yeah, I believe so. so. You know, something I think, too, that's just that we mentioned before that's worth considering as you're kind of looking at all these things, you know, is it just a good time to, to review your estate plan as well? Yeah, so, ab- yeah. absolutely. And uh, like you basically just mentioned, no deadline on, on these things, but it's just good to do yearly. Um, you know, just like we change the batteries in our smoke detector, you know, we have, uh, we kind of, set times to do that it's really be good every year to review your estate documents um you know have there been major changes during the year and and these are things we don't really like to talk about but you know has there been deaths or maybe uh, births maybe they're new new family members um marriages divorces you know moves things like that just life basically you know what life has happened over the last 12 months that might affect our estate so review your wills um maybe you've acquired some new property this year you know check how that's titled um review your beneficiary designations that's a big one um you know, for example, maybe a lot of people these days are uh, utilizing living trusts, and it, you need to make sure that that property you have is titled to that trust, or you're you're not going to get the benefit of, of having that. So, um, yeah, what property maybe have you acquired this year, or um, equipment? Just lots of different things. Just check the title on those, all, all your accounts. Um, and then review beneficiary designations. That's a big one. Um, and then how all that ties in with your will or trust or, or whatever your your total um, estate plan looks like. Make sure it's how you want it. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good deal. Yeah. Anything else? I guess just to wrap up the episode that kind of comes to your mind. You're kind of getting some blank stares. So I think probably not. But. <laughs> I believe we're good. Well, we talked about a lot of tax planning issues. So uh, we encourage you to speak with your tax advisor uh, on anything specific to your case. Uh, this was hopefully just a helpful overview about some of these topics. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of nuance to a lot of what we what we spoke about. Yeah, I would highly encourage you to talk to your tax professional, your, your financial advisor, you know, uh, if you have any questions or, or thoughts on any of these topics that, that we mentioned today. Um, we hope this podcast has been beneficial. We've hoped you uh, have enjoyed listening to us uh, wherever you may be and uh, join us next time on the benchmark.